Blog Talk Radio. The Barusho, or Brusho, also known as the Hunza people, or Botraj, live in Hunza, Nagar, Shitral, the valleys and in the mountains of northern Pakistan, as well as in Jammu and Kashmir, India. You might be wondering, why am I bringing up this group of people this afternoon here on this beautiful Sunday afternoon? I'm in Havity Grace, Maryland, a town that I love right on the water. I'm bringing these folks up for a very important reason. Apparently, no one within their lifestyle, within their ethnicity, get cancer. So this is a very interesting topic to explore. What is it about this tribe of people in northern uh, Pakistan and in India that allow them to be free from cancers? We'll be discussing that in many other aspects of can natural medicine cure cancer? I have to say that I know people personally who have had success with this. We'll be right back. You're listening to Main Street Universe, the show in network reminding you that the mysteries and possibilities of the universe are closer to Main Street than you may have ever imagined. I'm Daniel Michael, the founder and co-creator of the network. We'll be right back after this song from my new band and musical project known as Accidental Legends. We'll be back in just a minute. Thank you. are back. And again, our topic today is, is there a natural cure for cancer? Do you know anyone that's gone through this process? I personally have. And there's quite a few options out there and also combinations of options out there. And again, I used to work in a natural medicine store and have personally, physically seen some success uh, in the one case, the person's cancer did go away, but it came back. And these things happen. Sometimes it's time for us to die, and that's that's part of our existence. However, I've seen examples of people that go through a program, that go through a natural medicine program, or even a, 
acupuncture in one case was the claim. Again, I don't know all of these folks all that well, but I've certainly heard the claims, and these are human beings that I would talk to on a daily basis. But the one we're going to focus on right now is Laetra, or vitamin B17. This one has actually been around for a while. It's really not all that new. I have a book here as part of my reference. I'm not going only by the book, but as part of my reference, G. Edward Griffin is the author of this book. The book is called World Without Cancer, the Story of Vitamin B17. And the history of science is the history of struggle against entrenched error. Many of the world's greatest discoveries initially were rejected by the scientific community. And those who pioneered those discoveries often were ridiculed and condemned as quacks or charlatans. Columbus was bitterly attacked for believing the earth was round. I'm not so sure Columbus was the first one to come up with earth was round, but for the purposes of this story, I'm going to go with his narrative. Uh, Bruno was burned at the stake for claiming that the earth was not the center of the universe. Galileo was imprisoned for teaching that the earth moved around the sun. Even the Wright brothers were ridiculed for claiming that a machine could fly. And of course, there's some controversy with the Wright brothers. Some people believe someone else came up with flight for them, but that's a conversation for them. Another day. In the field of medicine, in the year 130 A.D., the physician Galen announced certain anatomic theories that later proved to be correct. But at the time, he was bitterly opposed and actually forced to flee from Rome to escape the frenzy of a mob. <laughs> In the 16th century, the physician Andreas Vesalius was denounced as an imposter, a heretic, because of his discoveries in the field of human anatomy. His theories were accepted after his death later on. But at the time, his career was ruined, and he was forced to flee from Italy. William Harvey was disgraced as a physician for believing that blood was pumped by the heart and moved around the body through arteries. William Röntgen, the discoverer of x-rays, at first was called a quack and then condemned out of fear of this array. They thought it was maybe dangerous. Potentially, potentially it could be. But his privacy was invaded, his bedroom. William Jenner when he first developed a vaccine against smallpox, also called a quack. And then I don't want to talk about vaccines much because that could open up the door. That could never be closed because there's all kinds of debates about <laughs> those sorts of things, uh, vaccines and all that. But basically what the author is getting to is that there are things in nature 
that we just haven't yet discovered, or sometimes we discover them and perhaps various political corruptions stop us from utilizing and using, and in this case, a very important one, one that can save lives. Uh, I'll give an example. Uh, Dr. Segura, a Japanese doctor, was the senior laboratory research at the Sloan Kettering Cancer Institute. He reported in his experiments with mice using vitamin B17 or laetrile was more effective in the control of cancer than any substance he had ever tested. This was not acceptable to his superiors. Instead of being pleased at the possibility of a breakthrough, they brought in other researchers to duplicate Segura's experiment and to prove that they were faulty, that they were wrong, they were incorrect. Instead, follow-up studies confirmed Segura. Undaunted, and I guess still trying to make him look bad, his superiors called for new experiments over and over again. Basically, they were just trying to always prove him wrong. They were trying to make these tests fail. Eventually, they did fail, and it was that failure that was announced to the world. And But it, with the multiple successes involved, it leaves one to wonder, was it a um, generated fail, a created one, by those who are in charge, and by the way, who are in charge of the lab anyhow. Earlier in the intro, I brought up the elders of Unza. They tend to be 90 years old or older. Now, there's been myth about these people, all sorts of things from Alexander the Great and all kinds of things, and that they lived to be 200 years old. I think these are a bit exaggerated. However, there seems to be a pretty good body of evidence that they tend to live very long. There's a picture of a father and son I remember seeing, and the father was 95 and the son was 78, and they both were still out there kind of working and looked pretty healthy. The Hunzas are world-renowned for their amazing longevity and good health. And as I said, there's no cancer amongst these folks. The native diet, for those who are waiting for the answer to this, is that it contains 200 times more vitamin B17 or laetrile than found in the average diet in industrial societies. Now, one may be asking, where do I get B17 outside of supplementing? Some people aren't big into supplements. I actually think some supplements work just fine from my own experience. Some people want to know what the natural source is. I do and believe and do the same thing. Uh, in, in Hunza, the apricot and its seed are the most prized of all its foods. The concentration of B17 lies within the apricot and the apricot seed. So not so unpleasant, not a bad tasting fruit. <laughs> and it 
turns out that this diet is so strong in B17, as I said, 200 times more. Now, let's do a real-life case. Uh, this is a gentleman named Bill Sykes. He was given up on by the doctors as hopeless, which can happen. We all eventually die. When he developed stage 4 lymphatic leukemia, a cancerous tumor in his spleen and in his liver. He was told that chemotherapy might prolong his life for a few months. But folks, any if you know anyone that's been on chemotherapy, it's a miserable life for a few months. And if you only have a few months, you might want to look at another option. I'm not here to preach or to be against allopathic or regular medicine. I'm just making a point that looking in a natural direction would certainly make sense in that point because his last days would have been horrible had he done the chemo. He then turned to B17 and enzyme therapy. And by the time of this article that I'm reading, Bill is now 74 years old and plays racquetball twice a week. Now, there's other stuff about the danger of x-rays and things like that. And again, that's a controversy. I don't want to get into that right now. Uh, what I'd like to do is keep talking a little more about B17, about Laetrile, and about why, without getting too angry or conspiratorial, sometimes these evidences or results, I just said one, it's a half-hour show, so I don't, I don't have crazy amount of time today. Uh, that's just how long they allow me for the pro program I'm on. The scientific studies have different approaches, different ways of viewing them, different ways of testing them. And in the allopathic world, there is a big focus on control groups. One of the concerns about control groups is you're not treating one group depending on the study which who wants to be someone not treating, you know, that, that's kind of the controversy sometimes. So whenever the proponents of vitamin therapy, B17 therapy, have attempted to offer surveys of their clinical results, the proponents of orthodox medicine have condemned them because their studies didn't have, as I mentioned, the adequate control groups or that their results could be explained away by other factors or that their follow-up records were inadequate. In most cases, these have been some legitimate objections, but exactly these same weaknesses are present in most of the statistical studies of regular medicine, of orthodox or allopathic medicine. The primary difference is that orthodox studies are presumed to be accurate. Therefore, they tend not to be challenged. But when you do a survey or study from the natural medicine position, it tends to be challenged until you go through sort of their, their official way of doing it. And sometimes that control group model might, it just might not always be the exact way. 
so Dr. Richardson, uh, uh, an MD who's actually advising that vitamin enzyme deficiency disease is the nature of, or condition, is actually the nature of cancer. Says we dare not talk about five-year survivals when we are really talking about 100% survival with prevention, prophylaxis. When you start killing people with insults uh, and, and radiation and things like that, it becomes difficult to know what's killing them. Like they say, is the cure killing you? There are several reasons for not using their false and misleading yardstick. I'm quoting now from Dr. Richardson. One is that the yardstick is not applied to vitamin deficiency disease. Later on in the future, when B17 treatment is accepted, we actually acquiescing in the use of the yardstick. Anyone who begins to see the vitamin aspect soon realizes that it's like measuring water and steel with the same clumsy apparatus. So this Dr. Richardson was, was very much against the way that the studies are measured. Now, Again, B17, if you're interested, is found mostly in apricot seeds and, and in apricots, probably uh, all parts of the apricot. I want to focus on a few other things in the natural world that people consider to be a natural cancer cure. One of them, this was actually told to me by my good friend, Laramie Rausch. Uh, he's a Cherokee, and he says the Cherokee have one. It's the pokeweed, and they nickname it plant kipo, chemo. Sorry, and the plant chemo, the pokeweed, is very purging, and can be a little poisonous. So it should be put together by a proper medicine man or woman. The pokeweed actually has some other interesting things about it. Um, the Algonquin and the Cherokee also used the right berries for dyes for arrows and for the horses. In fact, pokeweed received its name from the Algonquin pakan, meaning dye, as in to color dye, not meaning death dye. So it's very plentiful, and the ink from it was commonly used and letters from the Civil War were penned with the ink. Again, you're always going to get critics of some of these natural treatments. All I can say is I do personally know people who have been treated and cured of cancer naturally. And I'll go into the one that I've heard about and that I've actually seen some success with for multiple people. And that is the alkaline diet. And I would include B17 in the alkaline diet. 
I was in the position of unfortunately having some form of a, of a cancer. To start off, one of them shouldn't be too surprising, I guess, <laughs> though it's on the lesser of the alkaline, is apples. An apple a day keeps doctor away, as they say, and apples are considered on the positive side, the alkalinity scale. There's acidity, and then there's alkalinity. And the acidity doesn't mean how it goes in. It means how it's digested. A good example would be lemons. Feel very acidic, right? Actually, they're alkalizing. It's how they digest, how they process. So I'm going to tell you at first the foods, unfortunately, because I love most of these, that are in the acidic range. Cream cheese. Love cream cheese. <laughs> Patries. Uh, pork. Beef. I love beef. Uh, beer and wine, which must be a lie, uh, black tea, pickles. I can't believe pickles is even in that list. But anyway, roasted nuts, sweet and low, and unnatural other sweeteners like aspartame, stuff like that. Soft drinks, uh, coffee, unfortunately, pistachios of all things. Now, that that's not in too bad of a range. I'm looking at a chart with a range. and of course, white bread and wheat, um, soy milk, which I don't really recommend soy milk much anyway because so much of it is Monsanto soy milk, um, brown rice, which, wow, I wouldn't have guessed that one. I, I know a little bit about this diet. I've attempted it before, and I did not know brown rice was there. Um, but here we go now towards the more alkaline. And by the way, none of this is saying don't eat any of these other things you might enjoy. It's just saying eat more of the other because the other will bring about a better alkaline result. So let's see. I started with apples. We'll start with these. Apples, almonds, tomatoes, grapefruit, olives. I like olives. Cherries, which I love. Uh, Wild rice versus white or processed white rice. So, okay. So, some normal rice was okay. <laughs> Bananas and strawberries. Um, avocados, green tea, lettuce, celery, sweet potatoes, eggplant, green beans, beets, blueberries, one of my absolute favorites, tangerines. And on the high end, here's the, here's the big money makers for the alkalizers. And the alkalizers are usually dark green. Um, so things, spinach, broccoli, artichoke, avocado, cucumbers, seaweed, asparagus, kale, collard greens, and onions. I love onions and just about everything. So these dark greens, almost seems like the darker the better, are very alkalizing. So, the Hunza tribe in Pakistan, or the Burusho, whatever term, uh, a few of them they go by, does live in existence where cancer doesn't happen within their group. And I think that's something very serious to take a look at. 
And some of the reference, not all, I've been using today is from a book by C. Edward Griffin. And C. Edward believes that cancer is a deficiency disease. Think of it something like scurvy or pellagra, pellagra aggravated by the lack of essential food versus it just being some sort of, some people think of disease, they think of like a virus. And what he's saying is it's a deficiency. And the story is not approved by orthodox medicine. The FDA, the AMA, and the American Cancer Society have labeled it fraud and quackery. Yet the evidence has been clear, at least for some. And again, some of the controversy is on the studies or how the studies are done. It would just seem natural that folks who profit from various treatments, I don't mean the health workers. I'm talking about the big companies, the big corporations. I think your average doctor or nurse completely intends to heal. Uh, just like anyone else, maybe wants to make a nice living doing it. And I know especially many nurses used to come into our natural medicine store and some regular doctors all the time. So I don't think these people are nefarious or anything like that. I think the average doctor or nurse wants nothing more than to help and live a good life also and make a nice living. But I think some of the, the big pharma and the big drug companies and people that want to promote some treatments that I think are themselves controversial. I think chemo is very controversial. Uh, there's quite a few folks where I thought it was a treatment that killed them. But again, I do know people who have survived chemo and live a nice life now. So not here to preach, just here to make a point and to raise questions and to ask questions. I don't have all the answers. I, I could read every book in the world and I wouldn't. But I have seen some real life results and I think it's worse if we don't go ahead and just investigate. Anyway, we're coming down to our half hour. My name is Daniel Michael, founder, co-creator of Main Street Universe Radio Network. The network reminding you the mysteries and possibilities of the universe are closer to Main Street than you may have ever imagined. Thank you all. And remember to keep asking questions. Change it all.